0: of the one true and living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. From Paul's letter to the Romans this morning, we heard these words. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning His Son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. And He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship, to bring about the obedience of faith. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. This morning, I'd like to draw our attention to these words. To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. And the reason I want us to think about these words from Paul's epistle is twofold. First, I think they shed a profound light on what is happening in today's gospel. And secondly, I think they provide a powerful encouragement for us in our mission today. As we step back into the story, we are met with a very dynamic set of circumstances for God's people Israel and a very dramatic scene that unfolds before our eyes in the birthing of Jesus. As we begin to recall the ancient Israelites, we are reminded both of the very difficult circumstances that they were facing, but also the promise. The promise of the prophets that they were so eagerly awaiting. As we know, the Israelites were living in the land that God himself had promised their forefathers. They had returned from exile and slavery in Babylon. They had reconstructed the walls around the holy city, Jerusalem. They had restored their particular way of living, and most importantly, they had rebuilt the temple where the God of the universe made his home. Even so, Now a new oppressor overshadowed them. Only this time they were not dragged off to a foreign land and enslaved to a foreign king who served a false god. This time the battle had come to them. The mighty Roman Empire had conquered the Israelites even in their own land, even in the land that God had promised them. And the Roman Empire pressed upon the Israelites their own pagan rules and regulations. They imposed their own foreign religion with its pantheon of false gods and perverse morality. But perhaps even worse, no surely even worse, the Israelites were subjected to the corruption of their own Jewish religion. Specifically, their own religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were acting like wolves among the sheep. They piled heavy burdens upon the people's shoulders without lifting a finger to help, as Jesus himself would later say. Yet even in the midst of these trying and sometimes terrible circumstances, a flicker of hope remained steadfastly in their hearts. That God's promised Messiah would soon come to them. That God Himself would send someone to rescue them, to deliver them, to save them. But when and how? Who would this promised Messiah be? What would His activity look like? These were the critical questions of the day. And as you can imagine, these messianic Expectations had reached a fever pitch in light of this significant oppression they were experiencing. And then, in the most shockingly ordinary way, God did what He's always done He used us, God used humanity to fulfill. His plans and his purposes. And now, as we begin to focus the lens on the birthing of Jesus, we meet two humble characters a woman named Mary and a man named Joseph. These two would otherwise be completely unknown in the records of human history, except for one extraordinary thing their obedience. Of faith. Mary and Joseph, like so many Israelites before them and even around them in their day, they were betrothed to be married, the scriptures say. And although betrothal is a fairly archaic idea these days, at the time of Mary and Joseph, it meant you were effectively married, except, of course, for the sexual relationship. And the only way to break the bonds of being betrothed to one another was actually through divorce. So you can imagine, and I can't overemphasize this, you can imagine the outright scandal that it was when Mary found herself with child, both personally for Mary and Joseph who had not yet known one another sexually and certainly publicly. For soon she could no longer hide what was happening to her. And and this is why the Bible tells us that Joseph had resolved to divorce her quietly. For the scriptures say he was a just man and he was unwilling to put her to shame. As if somehow that would make it all simply go away. Oh, I think we can all imagine the cultural cackling. Of course we believe you, Joseph. Joseph. Sure, it was the Holy Spirit who did this to Mary. Right. And so the very real shame, embarrassment, humiliation, and otherwise that Joseph and Mary might have felt was actually relieved by one very important detail. It turns out it actually was the Holy Spirit who had done this. Just like our creed instructs us, conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, one of the most important and fundamental doctrines of the Christian faith as proclaimed by the church. And here's the thing. Mary and Joseph, they were each visited separately by an angel of the Lord about these things. Can you imagine... Can you imagine Mary being visited by an angel? Can you imagine Joseph having a dream so powerful and so profound that he knew beyond the shadow of a doubt that the angel of the Lord had visited them. And they did. And this is what happened. They then manifested that to all of Israel, even for the whole world to see, someone who was willing to stand up and to stand out and to be obedient to the faith no matter what how outrageous it may have sounded, no matter how embarrassing it may have felt personally, publicly, or otherwise. And when we find ourselves in those circumstances, my friends, all we have to do is remember what Mary and Joseph did and we will know exactly what to do so what does it look like for us to bring about the obedience of faith in our day in a very real way we're doing it right now with all of the choices that we have concerning what to do with our time you have chosen the better portion you have chosen the obedience of corporate worship coming here to worship together on Sunday morning, giving the first hours of your day, in spite, perhaps, of your small children's protestations along the way, giving the first fruits of your new week, just as Jesus gave that to us. Why do we celebrate on Sunday morning? Because this is when Jesus rose from the dead. Every Sunday, is not only a mini-Easter, it's a mini-Christmas because we celebrate his life, his death, and his resurrection. But I think we all know there's a little bit more to it than that. As good and as vital and as rewarding as Sunday morning is, the rubber also meets the road when we're out there in the world. Like the Israelites before us, we Christians, we are constantly confronted with the false gods of this world in our daily life and living. We're not just confronted by them, they scoff at us, they mock us, they belittle us, they deride us, they ridicule us, and if they had their way, they would try to wipe us out. They would want to extinguish Christianity, Christians, and the Christian faith altogether. But if this morning I can quote the immortal words that Father Bubba once said, <laughs> this, my friends, seems to be our sweet spot. This, my friends, is our time to shine. Why? Because we live among a people who need and even want us to manifest obedience of faith, even and maybe especially if they don't know it yet. And manifest our obedience of faith in this our own season of Advent. Even as we prepare again to celebrate Jesus' birth, and even and especially as we look forward to His coming again in glory also, as the creed says, to judge the living and the dead. So this week, this month, next year, when we meet someone, when we encounter someone may we draw on the powerful example of mary and joseph who in spite of in spite of the cultural criticism that they surely endure, endured brought the salvation of god in christ jesus into the world simply because they said yes simply because they said yes to God. And make no mistake, in a very public way, modeling for us all the opportunity to display our obedience of faith in a very public way. Let me close with this, fellow Christians. You know this. Our aim is not to please man, but to please God. And though the results are not up to us, the obedience of faith is... For as Paul says, for the sake of his name among the nations, and for all who are eagerly awaiting to hear the good news, and for all who so urgently need to see it on display.